morning. We are going to be in the book of Jonah, if you didn't hear about that earlier. If you want to turn there with me, Jonah chapter 1, I would appreciate that. You can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. And if you need one at home, you're welcome to take one of those home as well. So we'll be in Jonah chapter 1. We're starting a brand new series going through the book of Jonah. It'll take us about eight weeks, at least, maybe nine. Uh, I say maybe nine because the ninth week is actually scheduled to be our, our church, FBC, uh, worship in Shastis Park, and family barbecue, picnic, games, fun, just for everybody to come out and be a part of that. So we may uh, do a, our own little study that day, or we might decide we want to actually conclude with Jonah that day, just seeing where God takes us through this. Um, the, the series is called Jonah, God's Scandalous Grace. And what we see in this, in this book is, you know, we think it's a, it's a story about a guy who got swallowed by a fish. And, and that's in the kids' books we read. It's in, the, it's in all, the, all the little um, Bible study story leader guides for our Sunday school classes. That's the Sunday school story, right? Was, he got swallowed by a fish because he didn't obey, and God spit him out when he decided to, to get his act together, and he went and obeyed. Well, th- this, this book is much more than just a story about Jonah or about God's mission that Jonah wanted him to perform. This, this book is an account of God's scandalous grace. It is, it is an account of how merciful and how loving uh, and how gracious our Father is. And, and for you and I, oftentimes, not just in Jonah, but oftentimes as we search the Scriptures, as we look to the Word, it is wise if we put ourselves in, uh, in the position of child to our Father God. Uh, I know for me, having children, especially now young children, um, I, I identify more and more with my Heavenly Father the way my daughter probably identifies with me. Yes, I'm calling myself a four-year-old. Right? In, in scope of eternity, in scope of my relationship with God, I'm probably like a four-year-old. And, and today as we go through this text, I think you're going to see some of that in Jonah, and you're probably going to see a little bit of that in you. But if we can relate ourselves to the Heavenly Father as His children and understand what the Father wants us to do and how we should connect with the Father, we will, be so, we will not be so quick to try and rebel against Him. Um, in Jonah, the book, it seems to be written either by Jonah himself, uh, a prophet of God, or by somebody that was really close to Jonah, possibly close to the circumstances uh, around the account of the story. Now, Scripture is God-breathed, right, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So uh, whoever wrote it, it doesn't really matter. We don't, it doesn't identify an author. We just know it was God-breathed, and this is a, a true account, not just a, a fanciful tale. It's a true account of what happened to God's prophet Jonah. Um, it, probably was, was, it probably happened and, and thus was written during his lifetime uh, in the first half of the 8th century B.C., this is when the prophet Jonah lived, and it's spoken of uh, in 2 Kings chapter 14. We know that Jonah prophesied there, and we know that he was a prophet whose tenure, whose life, overlapped the reign of King Jeroboam II. So it is all, uh, it's also poss- a possibility, not necessarily likely or we know for sure, but it could have been a possibility because of the dates, that he was actually a successor to the prophets Elijah and Elisha, who may have mentored him. So this is not just a a guy we pull off the bench to kind of go in for, for God's team. This is a guy who was probably seasoned, well-versed in, in the Word, well-versed in, in prophecy, and that was, he, that was something he set himself apart to do. Uh, and in 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah had prophesied uh, that a reprieve of outside dominance from other nations, like, and that's what happened. Israel would be set up, and Israel would, would suffer, right? Because Israel would set up for itself idols, false gods, and, and turn away from God and do, do their own thing. So what God would do is say, hey, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to send someone to kind of wake you up. Hello, 
Anybody there, McFly? And they, he would send these Assyrians in or, or whoever was around him to, to kind of come and conquer them. Or at some points, so we talked about Nehemiah, they would be um, captives in that country and slaves in that country and generations of people would not be in Israel. So during that time, Jonah prophesied that there was a reprieve of, and, and peace coming to Israel out of, out of outside dominance uh, from the outside world. So, so Assyria was really the one that was, was pressing in at that time. And Assyria at this point in time had its own issues to deal with. So they, they would stop advancing. They stopped advancing on Israel. And Israel was able to actually advance back into the territories they lost and reclaim some of those territories. Uh, and Assyria, because they were preoccupied, there was this window of reprieve for Israel. In fact, there was about 36 years' time where Assyria was practically paralyzed. They couldn't do what they had been doing. They were, they were preoccupied with other battles, with other problems uh, against their nation. And it could be that the, that prophet, the prophet Jonah was sent during that time to Assyria, to the city of Nineveh in Assyria, to prophesy that they needed a wake-up call also. You know, they spent a lot of their time conquering, conquering the nations or even being used by God, not knowing, but being used by God to discipline Israel. And now there was this time where they were feeling like the oppressed, where they were feeling like they needed hope, where they were feeling like they may have needed a rescue. And this is the perfect opportunity, right? If we know God, the perfect opportunity to send someone to deliver the message of hope and rescue from an almighty God. Amen? That we, we know that when we're down in despair in the bottom of the pit, that's when God can reach down and pull us out because we understand the depth of that mire. We understand the depth of that sin. We understand the depth of that hopelessness. So this could be a perfect opportunity for Jonah during that time period to go into Nineveh and, and preach about the scandalous grace of God. And we say, I say it's a scandalous grace of God because scandalous grace is something that's a little bit like, oh, are you sure we're going to put that on those people? Are you sure you want to extend your love and forgiveness to them? God, they're, they're the Assyrians. They're the enemy. They're people who, who don't want anything to do with you, and they want to oppress us and come against us. And what God continually does, He says, I want to lavish my grace on them. And, and it's scandalous because here's what it follows up with. The question, who do you think you are? I lavished my grace on you. Why shouldn't I be able to lavish my grace on someone else? They are no more sinful than you and I. Amen? And because God has lavished his grace on me, he should be allowed to lavish his grace on whoever he wants. Amen? That's how good God is. But that grace seems scandalous sometimes. Can God really save those people? I don't know. I mean, I get it. He can save me. Really? That's the attitude we have, and that's the attitude Jonah has as well as we see this scripture. So it's scandalous because, yeah, God, God has enough grace to go around for all of us, all, all of the depth of our sin that we have. So this book is not just a book about a guy who got swallowed by a huge fish. It's really a book about God and how one man, Jonah, came to understand through painful experience the true character and nature of God's scandalous grace. And as we study this book the next eight or nine weeks, we are going to get to know that scandalous grace even more, that we, we will understand the grace that's been lavished on us, and we will understand that we now can be messengers of that grace to a world who desperately, desperately needs it. One of the things I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know why we're studying Jonah. I, I, it wasn't like I just, oh, you know what, I'm smart, and 
The church needs this right now. We need, to, we need to study Jonah. I just prayed, God, what do you want us to do next? What should we do next? And I had, I had some other thoughts in mind, and it became very clear. He said, go to Jonah. So I, I want you to understand that as I preach to you, as I teach to you throughout my entire life, uh, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, however I'm preaching, it, it is going to be a surprise to me what we learn. It, it's not, I'm not preaching something I have all figured out. And, and know it forward and backward. I, I have some of those things down, but if that's all I taught, that's all you would ever get. But now we're going into a book that I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I've read it and I've studied it. I like it, but it's going to be surprising territory for us, much like Nehemiah was for me too. Every week, learning something new to apply to our lives. So I hope that's where you are too. You guys ready to get started? We're going to do a whopping three verses today in Jonah. It's going to be great. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get to work, okay? Father, you are a great God, and we are so, so grateful that you have lavished your scandalous grace on us, as Paul would say, the chief of all sinners, the worst of all sinners. And we sit here amazed at Jesus, amazed at what he's accomplished and what he's paid for, that we could find rest for our souls in him. Today, as we study your word, we ask that you would impart wisdom to our minds and our hearts, that you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to to your word, to the application of your word, that you would challenge us and change us. We would know more of, of you, know who you are, and you would conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're in Jonah chapter 1. We'll re, let's read together verses 1 through 3, and then we'll dive into our points. Number, uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amnity. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went into, or down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. Today we're talking about rebellion and, and the dangers that await us when we have a rebellious heart or when we rebel against God, all right? So number one, the first danger is this. Rebellion shows that we don't fully know God. Rebellion shows that we don't fully know God. I'm reading a book with a couple other guys. We're meeting weekly and discussing it. The book's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Great book. I would recommend that. It is, it is just solid. But in this chapter, he talks about knowing God, and he talks about the idea of, of, do you really know God, or do you just know a lot about God? Because see, I, I have a lot of really smart friends. I grew up with a lot of smart friends in the church, and in school, and in college, who knew a ton about God. I actually envied them and was jealous. I wanted to have all those details. I wanted to have all those facts. I wanted to be able to recite this, 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 and this. And they did so, so great at that. But as time went along, what I found out is my friends knew a lot about God, but they didn't really know God. When it came time for the rubber to meet the road, when it came time for them to obey, when it came time for them to serve, when it came time for them to love, when it came time for them to give, they were absent. All they had was their knowledge about God and not a heart in love with God because they knew God. When we decide to rebel, what we're saying is, I don't really fully know God. All I know is a lot about Him. Because if we fully knew God, our hearts would break every instance we turned away and said no to God. 
And the hope is that the more we get to know God, the more, the more in love with Jesus we are, the quicker we repent of that and turn right back to him and say, God, no, I'm going to trust and obey you. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. So God is speaking here. right? The first part of this verse says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It didn't say a manual from a friend. Right? It didn't say he opened up a self-help guide. It said, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God is speaking, and through his words... He will reveal something about who he is, about his character and his nature. Knowing God, listen, knowing God is more important than knowing who Jonah is. It's more important than knowing his mission. It's essential to the Christian faith that we know God. So what I want to show is, is several little characteristics, big characteristics actually, several big characteristics of God that we can see just from this passage, and we'll get to understand more as we go through the book of Jonah in its entirety, okay? Okay. The first little part of this that we, to fully know God and understand, is He is sovereign. God is sovereign. And what that means, knowing what that means is this. I know God is in control of everything. He is the ruler of the cosmos, not just a corner of it or a part of it. He's the ruler of the cosmos, and He initiates His will when and where He wants for His glory, and it's always right. That God is sovereign. He's the boss. He's the first and last word. He is supreme. And that he takes initiative. It says, look at this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He decided in his will to share the, his word, his will, with Jonah. He decided that. And he decided what that will was going to be. Get up and go to Nineveh and preach against them. He is sovereign. He is also omnipresent. He's always present everywhere. It's one of those things that if Jonah would have really understood, he's always present. We'll get into this in a few minutes. He probably wouldn't have run away trying to escape the presence of the Lord. You see, when we rebel, it means we don't fully get God. Wait, don't you know you can't run away from God? He's always there. He's omnipresent. He, he was in Nineveh. He was in Jerusalem. He was in the whole world knowing what was going on. And that's the next part is he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows the hearts of the Ninevites. He knows the heart of Jonah. He knows your heart and he knows my heart. He is all-knowing. Next, we see that he is omnipotent, or he is all-powerful, all-powerful. And this, is, this speaks to the eternality of God as well, that God is self-existent, that he is from the beginning or from forever to forever, and all, everything in between is him. He is everything in between, and his power rests all, all throughout the cosmos. And what I want to show you in this scripture is something that's, that's not present in your Bible. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And when it's written in Hebrew, there's actually a, a conjunction right there at the beginning of the text. A conjunction is that and or or word, right? So it's verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. It should say this, correct, correctly translated from Hebrew. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Or, and then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And your thought is, well, why and? It's the very beginning. You can't, like, this is where it starts. But does God start there? Not at all. The eternal, all-powerful, omnipotent God is from forever to forever. This is just another part of his story that says, and then God spoke to Jonah. Because before that, there was the, and then God spoke to so-and-so, and such-and-such. And God has been in, in all of the story. Because guess whose story it is? It's his story. 
because he is omnipotent, all-powerful, and eternal. Next, he is holy. We see that he is holy. In the terms, he says, go to Nineveh, and it says, preach against it, because they have, their wickedness has confronted me. Preach against it says this, they are doing something that is wrong and against what I have set up to be true and right. God, is, being holy, is our standard. Amen? There's no other standard that we, we can get our lives lined up with. It's either God and what His will is and what He has created us to be, or it's something that's not that, which is against God. God is holy, perfect, and pure, and He needs people to understand they are not. He needs us to understand that we are not. God is holy, and we are not. And this is not one of those condemning things where it says, go in there and tell them they're all going to burn. It's like we talk about this hellfire and brimstone type of service, right? We want to make you turn or burn. Listen, you and I, because of our own sin, already stand condemned. And God is choosing to speak into the world to, to let us know of who he is and what his character is, that we might know God. Yes, and we might know God that he has a holy determination to act against sin, our sin. But in the same moment that he has a holy determination against sin, at least the last bit of his, his character, he is patient with us and gracious to us waiting for you and I, a sinner, to repent, to turn from our way and turn to him. So while he is determined against, or to act against sin, all the while he is a gracious God who is patient for, for us sinners to turn and know him. And that's why it's scandalous, Grace. We don't, we don't have to have the story of Turner Burn. We know where we stand. We stand against a holy God. And we already stand condemned. But God, but... God is rich in mercy. We can know God more fully when we listen to him speak. I want to read a scripture out of Hebrews, and you can turn to John chapter 3 while I do that. John chapter 3 is where we're going next. But Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. That's Jesus we're talking about. That God is speaking to us through Jesus. What the Son has said and what the Son has done speaks volumes of the scandalous grace of God. Now, if you're in John chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 18 with me. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. We already stand condemned, because He has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. There is an answer to the problem of what separates us from the holiness of God, and that answer is Jesus Christ. You and I, as we believe in the Son of God, as we believe in Jesus Christ, His righteousness replaces our filthy rags, and we can now stand in the presence of a holy, 
holy God because his scandalous grace was given to us through Christ on the cross. Amen? We need to trust and obey the word that the Lord speaks to us. We need to trust and obey Jesus. Even in the face or the temptation of rebellion. I've asked Christine Holst to come share. Uh, she has a story to share that I think ties in really well to Jonah's call and, and God speaking to her and some fear that's in there too. But I, I want her to come speak and uh, talk about her last year. Christine, if you'd come up, if you'd welcome her, I'd appreciate that. bring notes up and then never use them so we'll see we'll see how it goes but I am really happy to be here this morning and to be um, talking to you guys today um, sometimes when I tell my testimony I joke that I was born in a church pew and that's not actually true but if it had been it would have been one of these so um, <laughs> you guys are definitely my church family and I'm just really excited to share with you today um, there's a little blurb, I think, in the bulletin about what I'll be doing next year, but I kind of want I wanted to talk to you today of how I got to that point of going. Um, and so recently, um, I graduated from Cal Poly, um, and so that's what I'll be doing next year. But backtrack about almost a year ago now, um, I was entering my senior year of college, and uh, it came to the point where I was like, okay, I should probably figure out what I'm going to do after graduation. That would be a good idea. Um, and so I'd just gotten back from a mission trip to the Middle East uh, that I got to share about last year with some of you guys. And so as I was going forward, I knew that there was an opportunity to go on a year-long um, overseas mission trip to minister to college students in, uh, in Eastern Europe. And so as I was moving forward and I was weighing sort of my options, I, I knew that that was, that was in the cards. And so I went to a fall retreat um, for my college ministry, and they, they talked about this program called STINT, which is um, what I'll be doing next year. And um, as I was sitting there kind of listening, you know, I'd been a couple years before I knew about it, um, I just got this, this intense desire as they were talking about going on mission just to... Um, just to go into pursue God fully for a year, just thinking about it, I was like, you know, what better way could I give a year of my life than to go overseas and to share the gospel and to fully depend and trust in the Lord in that way? Um, and, I, and I was thinking, I shared in the first service, but I know that I'm talking about overseas missions, and that seems big, but I really think that this call is on everyone's life, not necessarily to overseas. So as I'm sharing this morning, I would just love you guys to consider of what desires the Lord has put on your heart, not just to the overseas, you know, actually going. So I, I felt that desire, and, and I was like, man, um, Lord, is this something that you want me to do? And then I left for retreat and went back to the real world where my friends were applying for graduate school and getting jobs and finishing up their college career. And, and I was weighing the options. And I was like, Lord, <laughs> ministry is really scary. Uh, you know, you're just engaging with people all the time. And um, Lord, I, I'm supposed to support raise for this if I commit to this. And, and I just want to have control over my, my own support. And and, um, you know, it was, it was really hard. And so, honestly, um, during that Paul quarter, I weighed a year of ministry in the balance and found it wanting in my own eyes. I was like, Lord, that's, that's not what I want to do. 
sorry, uh, that's too hard and I'd rather do something else. Um, <laughs> so so that, was, that was my fall quarter was basically putting that idea of missions on the back burner, that's not what I'm gonna do. And so went on, went to winter break and came back and came to a winter conference. And the speaker basically um, on the second day was talking about, you know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to drop whatever you're holding on to and follow him wherever he's leading you? And then again, talked about that idea of going. And again, just got that, that desire to give that part of my life to the Lord. And I was like, okay, they're talking about missions again, and I'm getting really excited again. So why am I not going? Um, and it just became clear that it had a lot to do with those same fears, the fear of the unknown. Um, I, I've never really, I've been out of the country once, 10 months is so long, how can I be away from my family for that long? What if I miss out on job opportunities? You know, what if, what if people think I'm throwing my life away with this college degree to begin on a year of missions? Um, so yeah, fear of the unknown, fear of being uncomfortable. Um, I'm outgoing. I wouldn't say I'm incredibly extroverted. So the idea of engaging with people and um, being exhausted and tired, I was like, Lord, I don't even know if I can be on mission. Like, I don't know if that's emotionally possible for me. Um, and then again, that idea of support raising, like, Lord, I don't want to have to depend on other people. That's so scary. So anyway, the Lord just revealed that the thing that was holding me back from that calling were just these fears. And it became so clear that uh, those were not good enough reasons for the Lord. Um, so I identified that and I was like, okay, okay Lord, I'll, I'll just apply. I'm not gonna commit, I'll just apply. And so I uh, basically took two months to slowly fill out the application section by section. And um, just all through that time, honestly, just tried really hard to find other um, paths to go on. And you know, whether I was, I was on this, I'm a biology major, so I was on this clinical lab science kick for a while and had decided in my mind, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do that and I'm not gonna do this stint thing. And then um, there'd just be this, these nudges from God. And that night, particular night, we had a, a speaker in our ministry and she talked about missions again. And she talked about surrendering to the Lord and getting out of that comfort zone. And I was like, ah, there's that burning passion again to go. Christy, like, I think the Lord's calling you. So again, there, there would just be these nudges every time I, I set my mind against it. So by, by the time a couple months had passed, I submitted my application and, um, and got accepted. And um, it just kind of came down to, okay, Christine, are you going to trust that the Lord is going to bring you through these fears and that it's going to be good and that lives will be changed and that your life will be changed? And the answer um, at that point was yes. So I committed to going. Um, so that's, that's the year I'll be looking forward to ahead. And I was just thinking about what Brandon was saying of um, what does the Lord's calling reveal about to him? And when I look back on that almost, you know, six, well, it's an ongoing process, year-long process, it's just so clear to me um, God's grace to us and our weakness. Um, just that idea of I asked and sometimes continually still ask for affirmation from the Lord. Um, about what I'm doing, and continually, he is gracious to me, and um, just giving me strength and confidence, and I just love that about the Lord, again, just that graciousness that Brandon was talking about, and um, I know that that will continue, especially as I leave in September, um, and I'm excited to discover more of the Lord along the way.
Thank you, Christine. Scandalous, isn't it? Just scandalous. God just continues to reaffirm uh, his call in our lives and lets us know more and more about who he is, doesn't he? he? He reveals himself to us, and it's an amazing opportunity. You know, great thing with Christine, it's been just so fun watching her, of course, grow up in this church, in this family, uh, and, and watch God just do, do a work in her that's her own faith and her own journey. Uh, and for you and I, we get the opportunity and the responsibility, I believe, to, to come alongside and encourage her so that God would use you and use me to affirm what he has already asked her to do. So when you see her, affirm her in that. Good job. You're going. That's a good choice. Don't, don't tell her she's wrecking her life. Don't tell, don't tell her that any of that stuff. She's missing out on job opportunities. That's, that's not from God. God told her to go. And, uh, and part of what you can do, and, and she's going to be at the kiosk. She has a little sign-up sheet. If you want to, uh, to get on that sign-up sheet and be aware of what she's doing and how you can pray for her, you can become a prayer partner with Christine. I would, I would highly ask everyone, I'd recommend, but I, I would ask everyone <clears throat> to be partnering with her in prayer as she goes uh, in September for 10 months. That's, that's the least we can do. Um, we can also become financial partners with her as well, and there are ways to do that. But she doesn't want you just to write a check and just drop it, drop it off and say, this is for Christine. She wants the opportunity to sit down and visit with you and share her vision and passion and excitement for the Lord and what God has called her to do. So uh, in, that, in the bulletin, you have a little red card. It looks like this. It has Christine's picture on it, a little bit, a little bit about what she's doing, and then it has her contact phone number and email. You can get a hold of her and talk to her and say, hey, let's just text her. Hey, let's get together. Um, email her, and she'd love to do that just to connect those dots. We, uh, we are going to be financially supporting her, I know, as a church um, as well through our missions committee, but uh, individually we have the opportunity to partner in that fellowship, what Paul says, koinonia, that we partner in the gospel and we get to partner in the effects and the fruit of the gospel by doing that as well. So great opportunity. Thank you for sharing, Christine. Um, there are with, with those opportunities where God calls, God speaks, the word of the Lord came to Jonah or the word of the Lord came to you or me or Christine. When the word of the Lord comes, there's this, this now opportunity we have to say yes or to say no. And, and today we're talking about that, that no answer. And when we say no or we hesitate, what happens in our life and the dangers we have, right? So the first danger we talked about is we don't fully know God. If we, when, when we rebel, we, we're showing that we don't fully know God. And I would, I would submit that you and I ought to know as much as we can, not just about God, but know Him, be in love with Him, and let Him change us from the inside out. Uh, the next danger we see, number two, is this. <clears throat> rebellion, and it's actually a danger and a, and a good thing, but rebellion reveals our current spiritual condition. Rebellion reveals our current spiritual condition. So back to verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1. God said, go, and it said, however, Jonah got up to flee from the Lord's presence. It, it reveals our current condition. However, Jonah, see, when we say however, Jonah, we're talking about a prophet of God, possibly trained by Elijah and Elisha. Jonah was not a rookie prophet. He was not just fresh off the bench, go in and let's go get him, buddy. He was, he was a seasoned prophet. Jonah, Jonah had, had experienced a lot of the Lord and a lot of, a lot of prophecy, and he, was, he, was, he had, been, been, had been faithful in that endeavor. But one of the things we need to understand is that past spiritual health or accomplishments do not speak as loud as current obedience. I think sometimes you and I rebel, and this is what it looks like. <clears throat> I've put in my service. I've put in my time, God. 
Yes, yes, there's a need for a Sunday school teacher. Yes, there's a need for this or that. Yes, there's a need for someone to evangelize my neighbor. But God, I've, I have had so many people to my house for dinner. I have taught so many years of Sunday school. <clears throat> my turn is up. And when someone asks you about your testimony, about God working in you and in your heart, all you have are stories of the past. What God wants is the now in our heart. What God is looking for is current obedience. The key to demonstrating that our faith is legitimate is continual, consistent, current obedience. Amen? That the world would know because of how we live today and how we live tomorrow. Because frankly, some of them don't care about yesterday or they weren't there. Yesterday was so great because we were faithful and we were found faithful and we wanted to be found faithful. But today is a new day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. We will trust and obey in Him. So really, here, here's the danger. The danger is, I don't want to know where I'm at with the Lord. And what I'm telling you, this is a great litmus test or a great thermometer to take your spiritual temperature. If you are rebelling against what God is asking you to do right now, and what you're coming up with is excuses because the past was so great, you may have a heart problem with Jesus. You may be in disobedience with Jesus right now. It's not enough to say, I was this or I did do that. What are you doing today? Be obedient today. The next danger is this. Number three, rebellion believes the lie. We can judge it's a spiritual condition because we know that we're believing a lie. Rebellion believes the lie. So however, Jonah got up, and what did he get up to do? To flee from the Lord's presence. It, this is not theology, by the way. He cannot actually do that. But he got up intending to do that. You understand the difference? We cannot flee from the Lord's presence. There's not some magic thing that says, okay, now, I, now God can't see me. Now God can't interact with me. Now God can't convict me. His spirit isn't here. There's none of that happening. It's only in my mind or my heart that says, you know what? There's a place that I can go hide. I'm going to go try that. Remember I talked about parents and children a little while ago and just how, how, how we're really four-year-olds? My daughter plays hide-and-seek with me. It's fun, right? I'm a big guy. I can't really hide very well. And I, so I hide like she hides in plain sight. My, my daughter thinks it's kind of neat because I'll, I'll be sitting on the edge of the bed or on the couch or in the kitchen or somewhere, and she'll, she'll kind of slowly come up. She doesn't quite get the game. She'll come slowly up to me, and I don't know what she's doing. I'll just look over. Hey, what's going on? Daddy, I was seeking for you. Oh, oh sorry. Go, go back and do it again. And I, next time she comes around the corner, I'm just kind of, and I know she's right there, right? She's coming up to, to scare me or try something. But then when we actually play hide and seek and she goes to hide, it's, it's not those places that, she, like, it hasn't got to the age where you start worrying with your spouse, where's our child? Where do, where do they find to hide? We're at the age where she's four years old, and she opens the pantry cabinet door, and she closes it on herself like this, right? And you see her feet sticking out, and her little stomach and her, her face is like, and she's hiding there. That's how she hides. And see, that, that's how Jonah was hiding. God saw exactly where he was. He knew exactly what was going on. There's not a place that Jonah could have went to hide that he could have fleed from the presence of the Lord. But the enemy would have you and I believe that there is a place where we can be comfortable in our own sin and not accountable to our sin, where God's presence is not there. 
so that we can sin all the more. All the while, with the lie and all, God is standing right there in front of the pantry saying, I found you. I'm here. I see you. You couldn't get away. See, when, when he said he was going to flee to Tarshish, this is a, a city on the edge of kind of known area, of known landmarks. This, this, this would be considered the uttermost part of the world from Jerusalem and from Israel. And it was in the absolute direct opposite direction of where Nineveh was. So he, he got up, so it was kind of neat, right? Get up and go to Nineveh. So, so what does it say? He got up. So we're excited. Here, good job. You're going to obey. And what did he do? He turned right around 180 degrees and walked the other direction. Probably ran. Scripture says that, that Tarshish was a three-year round trip. This was not just, I'm going to get out of the hood for a little while. This is, I believe that there's a place on planet Earth that God has not yet visited, and I'm going to go there because I want to hide from the presence of the Lord. If he had fully known God, he would have known what? There's nowhere you can go to hide from me where I can't find you. Don't play hide and seek with God. Don't buy into the lie that there's a place far from his reach. Turn to Psalms chapter 139. Keep your finger here, please, in Jonah. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 139, begin in verse 7. Verse 7 says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, right? That's where Tarshish was, at to settle at the western limits. Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The, the night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You and I cannot flee and hide from the presence of the Lord. He is always, always there, and we have to understand that. The lie begins a drift in us, a drift away from the presence of God or what we would feel as the presence of God, and it takes us in the opposite direction of the truth of who he is. Like Jonah, we too can believe this lie and that there's a place that we can get away from God's presence, but we can't. You know, we want to be at least I can be more comfortable in my rebellion if I'm not accountable anymore, is what we say. But there's always a place of conviction, always a place of his spirit, always a place of his presence. And I would say that many of us, many of us are not as blatant as Jonah. He was, he was dead set, blatant, turned around, and went, you know, somebody, we, we like to fool God. Yeah, God, that sounds like a good idea. Give me a few minutes. And then a few minutes later, you turn around and run, right? Jonah heard, got up, and left. He wasn't trying to trick God. He was just trying to get away from God. He was trying to get away from the responsibility that God had asked him to do. And you and I might drift into disobedience too. We drift there. It's a slow fade, a slow process at times. It might be because we're finding ourselves away from God's word. It might be we find ourselves away from God's people or away from ministry, right? Being the hands and feet of Jesus, away from discipleship and, and growing in the word of God and being accountable to the word and others, away from worship, and away from the fellowship. These are things that, that if you're starting to drift away, you can test 
whether or not you're in rebellion, whether or not you're buying into the lie and believing the lie. Because that, that's what happens, right? Rebellion believes the lie, and a drift happens, and it, it's a slow drift, but it happens to all of us, or can happen. And that leads us to the next danger, number four. Rebellion leads to a downward journey. So there's a slow fade, a slow drift away from truth, away from what God wants, away from accountability, away from the church, away from the word, away from, from discipleship and fellowship and worship. There's a slow drift away from that. And maybe, maybe you've been there, and I'm probably preaching to the choir because you're here today. You haven't drifted, right? But maybe it's your first time back in a long time. Maybe you did. Maybe you did drift, and you're back. You're like, I know I need to be here. Yes, you do. You're so, it's so good for you to be here. Maybe you need to point this sermon out to someone else this week and tell them to go online and listen to it because they need to not drift anymore. And, Stop embracing the lie and embrace the truth of God. But either way, we have this tendency to drift. And what happens is, is number four, rebellion leads to a downward journey. Look at verse three again in Jonah. It said, Jonah got up to flee from the presence of the Lord. It said in the next part, he went down to Joppa and found a ship. And then he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them to flee from the Lord's presence. These words were not used by accident, by the way. This choice of word is on purpose, and it's significant because it contrasts the word, get up. And what did Jonah do? He described it to a T. I went down. He didn't go down to Joppa. He went west to Joppa. But what he said is he went down to Joppa. Amen? He knew that this was a downward spiral, that this was not a, not a thing he should be doing, and he went away from the truth of God. He went west, and his spiritual orientation went downward. It's, lying, it's like lying, right, and trying to live and keep up that lie. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. You know, you remember that when you're, I'll say it, when you were a kid, because not yesterday. When you were a kid, you'd tell a lie. And you were good because you told a lie, and, and it was convincing. Someone believed you, your mom believed you, your dad did, your teacher. They believed you, and you're like, okay, got out of that one. Now you had to remember the lie. And then someone comes and asks about it or, or, or scenario surrounding it. And now you have got to remember the lie and make up another lie to cover for the first lie or to make the lie, first lie seem plausible. You see where we're going here? It's a downward spiral. And the weight and pressure of that is not freeing. See, the lie says it's going to be freeing. You're going to be out of accountability. No big deal. And what Scripture says, it's a downward spiral that's going to lead, lead into the belly eventually. Right? He goes down to, down to Joppa, down to the ship. In the next passages, coming, in the coming weeks, we're going to see he goes down into the water from the ship. And then, then he goes into the belly of the fish and descends into the sea. This is a downward journey of despair and yuckiness is what it is. That's where Jonah goes. And that's what happens to us when we rebel against God. It's a downward spiral. It's a downward journey. And it's hard to live in despair for very long. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've had a downward journey. And you've gone far from God and you, you just feel despair and hopelessness. And what you're wanting is peace and hope. Guess who has that? God. The one that you ran from earlier? Yeah, he has that. He's offering that. He wants you to know true peace. Number five, rebellion is costly. This is a danger. It's costly. It's going to cost you a lot. You know, sin, sin just costs money, okay? It costs money. It costs time. It costs energy. It costs emotions. It costs a lot. It's draining. 
You know, I've, I've been with, been with uh, counseling with couples who, who said, I'm divorcing them, I'm leaving them. And so they, they split up and they get different houses. All their savings goes into renting two places or buying one mortgage and renting one place and counseling to try to figure it out. And are we going to stay together or are we not going to stay together? Right? And, 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 this, and it continues, for, the pride wells up and it continues longer and longer. It just costs so much. The kids don't know which way is left or right, up or down. They don't know where to stay. Right? They don't know, know what's solid and what's not. There's that, so there's despair going on in the hearts of children, in the hearts of parents, in the hearts of, of their parents, in the hearts of friends and family members and church members. It, it, there's despair. That's just one scenario that costs a lot. Sin costs a lot. Rebellion is costly. Jonah, it says Jonah got up to flee, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship, and he said he paid the fare to get on the ship and, and go with them to, to Tarshish, Right? What we don't see in this text, and what's, what's, I believe, indicated because of the, the feminine aspect of the, of the description, and you don't see that, but in the Hebrew language, there's a feminine uh, description here. When he says he paid the fare, what, it, what it's saying is he paid her fare. Now, the only reason he would use that, okay, and this is just knowing the text and looking at the, the commentaries and the, and the language on this, the only reason he would say, he paid her fare versus he paid his fare is what? Anyone want to stab at this? What's that? Female, the, yes, the, the feminine is talking about the ship. You know, we set her out to sail. You know, we, we, we tend to call a ship a her. I don't know. It's just what they do. So when you when talk about the feminine, he did not buy himself a seat on the ship. He was in such a hurry such a rebellious spirit, such a rebellious attitude that he took everything he had and came to the dock and said, I'm buying this ship. I'm, this, I am renting the ship and the crew. It's mine. I need to get away. I don't, I don't need to have anything hold me up. I'm not just going to be a passenger along for the ride. This is my ship. And he got on and he went down into it and said, this is mine. Let's go. The indication is he spent a lot of money on this ship. No, he wasted a lot of money rebelling from God and, and paying for this ship. So you can study that on your own too, but he hired the ship, not just a seat, and he was willing to pay anything, anything to embrace the lie. Remember, obedience is the key to demonstrating our faith. We trust and obey. And those of us who are choosing to obey understand that there is a cost and a sacrifice to obey, amen? I mean, it's, it's not like free that we would obey and that we sacrifice for the Lord, there's a cost. But the point is, rebellion is costly. And, and the reason it's, it, the sacrifice and the cost to us is not as great as the sacrifice and cost in rebellion is because Jesus paid the price for us. Jesus looked at us and saw us in rebellion, and he said, I will stretch out my arms on the cross and pay for you so that you can come to me. And the burden I place on you, right, is what? It's light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And if you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. That is in the, in the direct opposite of what rebellion does. Rebellion away from God takes us to a place where the cost is extreme to our souls. God says, I just want you to find rest for your soul. And, and the burden I place on you to carry is not going to be difficult. Just trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's a much higher cost to disobedience. There's hopelessness and despair. There's anguish and there's death. And eventually there could be separation from God. And actually that's where it starts. We, we start with separation because he is a holy, 
pure God. Last passage for today. Turn to one, Psalm 107. You can leave Jonah. Psalm 107. I want us to understand clearly who is Lord over our despair. We, we put ourselves through our own rebellion. We put ourselves in despairing situations, don't we? We put ourselves in places of grief, of sorrow, of hopelessness because of our own actions, our own attitudes, and our own rebellion against God. But God is rich in grace, and His scandalous grace reaches out in the depths of our despair and says, it's here and it's enough for you. You can be satisfied in me if you would embrace the grace I'm giving. Come to me. Let's look at Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. 107, 23. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast waters. They saw the Lord's works, His wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a tempest that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky and sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and all their skill was useless. Do you understand that? When we rebel against God, our skill is useless. We'll reel and we'll stagger like we're drunk because we don't know what we're doing. Verse 28, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. Amen? God's scandalous mercy, isn't it? In the middle of our distress, in the middle of our rebellion, God reaches down through Jesus and says, I am the hope of the world. I can pull you out of that distress and give you peace, give you hope for your souls. I don't want to be a rebel. I don't want to rebel against the Lord. I want to trust and obey. So today, may we turn Turn from the dangers of rebellion back to God, back to what He's calling us to do. And may we cry out to the Lord who can bring to us His scandalous, scandalous grace and give us hope and joy and a future. And then He wants His grace, that scandalous grace, to overflow from our lives, to overflow from your life so that people may see and know our Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, you are a great, great God. And God, we are so rebellious at times. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would reach into the moments of our distress and our rebellion, and you would, you would pull us out of that mire and that pit back to a place where we can trust and obey you. We want to shine for you in all that we do. Your scandalous grace was enough to save even me. And God, it's my desire to pour that out to others, that they might see your scandalous grace and respond by believing in the Son and having life. We trust you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. May we be obedient to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we close, a great opportunity. To, this is our opportunity to respond, right? To worship God, to respond back to what he's saying to you. Maybe you're in that place of rebellion. You need to say, God, I, time out, I'm done. I, I, I need to come away from rebellion and come back to you. 
and you just need to embrace who God is and, and not, not worry about knowing more about God, but just sit down face-to-face with God and hug him and hold him and get close to him again. Maybe you need to listen to what he's asked you to do, and, and you need to go. Maybe fear is keeping you from going or serving. Or, and it's not, you know, Christine talked about this. We're not talking about you need to be this super awesome prophet missionary. It, it's not just that you would get up and go to the Middle East or go to Nineveh. It's that you would get up, that I would get up, and we would at least maybe walk across the room to somebody that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's start there. Let's build from that and listen to what God is asking us to do. As we respond, you you pray, you sing, you belt it out, whatever you need to do to respond to God, respond to the heart of God now. Do it as we sing. Let's sing. What's not to love about you? Heaven and earth adore you. Kings and kingdoms bow down. Son of God, you are the one. You are the one. You are the love that frees us. You are the light that leads us. Like a fire burning. Son of God, you are the one. You are the one. We're living for. Sing, sing, sing. And make music with the heavens. We will sing, sing, sing. Grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise. Lift high the name of Jesus. Sing, sing, sing. We will sing, sing, sing. And make music with the heavens. We will sing, sing, sing. Grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise, lift high the name of Jesus. When we shout, when we shout your praise, lift high the name of Jesus. No other name than Jesus, amen? That's what we're lifting up. We're lifting up Jesus. We don't lift up our pride. We put that down. We humble ourselves. And lift up Jesus because his scandalous grace is what got us here. And it's his scandalous grace that will get us through this life and into heaven with him. It's all about Jesus. He is a great God. Read Jonah this week. You read all of it or part of it. We're only going probably another three verses next week. No big deal. But, uh, but read on at your leisure. It's going to be a fun time going through the book. I'm so grateful for you guys. Let's, let's pray together and close. Father, we are, we are all grateful for this opportunity that we have to come together to, to come in unity under the banner of Christ, under the blood of Christ, under the scandalous grace of Christ, that we would embrace him together, that we would unify together. That, God, we are not claiming to be perfect, but we're claiming to be perfectly forgiven by you. We thank you for that. May we remember that in those days and those times and those moments where our desire, our temptation is to be a rebel and rebel against you, to go in the opposite direction you called us to go. God, can we just stand firm in you, trusting and obeying that you have given us a burden that is easy, a yoke that is light. 
we can find rest for our souls and hope for our souls in you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, you guys. birthday. You barbecued for your birthday. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs>